My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Like, oh, here we go, Mark. Off again with your... Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, and it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. Yeah, so who are we talking about today, Matt? What is up, my fine friends, family, folks, and lovers of the other world, interdimension, multidimensional, all things esoteric and strange? It's your boy, Mark Palmer, from the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, presenting to you a swapcast that I did with the Deep Share podcast. That's my man, Andy Rouse, a little further north from where I'm at. I gotta apologize if you got this episode early. I downloaded it from Andy's feed, and I'm almost certain that this is not his fault. It's the podcast host he uses. But there were four dynamic ads inserted on the original audio file that I uploaded. So if you listen to that by accident, probably didn't if you're listening to this, but just know... That the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast has made the decision not to take advertisers of any kind, ever. So, it's a value for value podcast. Show some love on Patreon, and you'll never get an ad when you listen to this show. And to make up for the fact that there was an ad on the show for a couple of you listeners, I'm going to include a Patreon-only episode in the RSS feed this week just for you guys a gift happy labor day all right enjoy some exclusive content thrown out for free and also enjoy this deep share podcast with my man andy rouse it was a lot of fun oh he just texted me look at that all right folks enjoy hey there listener welcome to the deep share podcast i'm your host andy rouse and for the last couple of decades i've slowly been opening my eyes to a very different world than the one i grew up hearing about And the more conversations I have with interesting people, the more mystifying this world becomes. So without further ado, let's get deep. Let our science celebrate demons now! Come on! There's rebellion in the wind. It will be crushed. Everything I've said is true, it's real. Dinosaur bosses? I'll have to put those here to test our faith. Damn lie, I saw them on my own eye! Did I accuse this? Drop sharply while I was away. We did illusions, man. None of it is true. I'm not insane. This is mass madness, you maniac. In God's name, you people are the real thing. We are the illusion. All right. So welcome back to the Deep Share. I'm here with Mark Steves, the man, the myth, the legend, the man behind Alt Media United and... My family thinks I'm crazy. How's it going, Mark? Nice to see you. Thank you very <laughs> much for having me, bro. It's a pleasure to be here. Hell yeah, man. We've been looking forward to talking for a while. Life gets in the way, though, you know? Yeah, no, I've been on the, the synchro mystic exploration of the ever-expanding now, as we've been calling it, you know? So, yeah, it's- trying to live moment by moment has made, you know, scheduling things a little weird, but... That's part of learning about the 13 moon cycle and really getting into tune with like the harmony. So that's kind of where my focus has been lately is as much as life does get in the way, you know, amidst all that, it's been, (laughs) it's been fun. 
so this 13 moon thing go into that a little bit tell us a little bit about what's uh what's different about how life is now when you're trying to do it like that mm. well it started for me with uh this book called time and the technosphere and kind of like we were talking about before we hit record here you know i love going to bookstores use bookstores and happen to be in indianapolis where they have a chain of bookstores called like books a million or something like that half price books is what it's called there there we go and um and i found this book used time and the technosphere by jose argueles and i started reading it on the patreon because I thought it was interesting. And also my buddy, Alex Stein and I, Alex Stein from the conspiracy castle, were like, you know, this is the 20th anniversary of nine 11 coming up actually in a, a week or two from now. Um, so we wanted to plan interviews for this nine 11 kind of marathon, maybe even a book potentially that Alex is going to put together. Wow. So this is all happening and i'm like all right i want to participate in this i want to have alex interview me on the topic and possibly you know add a piece of the mystery of 9-11 from like the more metaphysical side because what you might not know from the title time in the technosphere is jose arguelles is basing a lot of his theories in this book around 9-11 being a time when our universe or the biosphere, the mental sphere, however you want to label it, there was an energy buildup that eventually led to this moment that was 9-11. And his theory is that the energy that was built up to that point through the industrialization of our society this stress, uh, this disconnection from the Earth's natural harmony, this is where, you know, the source of that tension, and it just kept building and building and building and culminated to that point in September 11, 2001. And he has a lot of theories on why it was that date, and the numbers are very complicated, so we won't go too far into that because I myself don't have all that remembered but the larger point that was gathered was that we as human beings right now at this point in time and he wrote the book i think in 2003 so it's almost 15 or you know almost 20 years really from when he wrote it um <clears throat> he was saying that we have this opportunity to get back into the 13 moon cycle back onto that baktun calendar that the mayans had which is the actual harmonic rhythm of our, you know, seasons, really. It should be 13 moons and that's a year. So the fact is with this Gregorian calendar and then the, you know, subsequent calendars that came after that and before that, they have thrown us off of our connection with that natural rhythm. So mm. Part of learning and understanding the 13 moons is just trying to honor them and get into that practice of like, you know, okay, the full moon's coming up. And, you know, at first we tried to, uh, you know, rename every day of the week and that became kind of tedious, but that's part of the, you know, the playing around with these ideas and experience, experimenting with them. So at this point we've sort of resolved to like, well, we need to have our own house. And once we have that, then that will start the foundation uh, through which this routine of really living in sync with the, the harmony of the 13 moons, you know, you have to be able to really have domain over your, your sacred space, you know, and where you live is, is sacred space, but it's hard to do that when you got, you know, other people's energies and all that. So my lady and I were able to work together on this stuff and she might jump in at some point here. Uh, but, you know, the larger point is it really all it takes is a choice, you know, to go into this 13 moon cycle, having awareness of it and saying, OK, well, the full moon is here. The new moon is here and I'm going to 
try to organize my days based on what the energy of that moon, full or new, where it is, you know, whatever constellation is behind it, that has some information as to what's really going on in the spheres, you know, or the flat plane, as I just had the <laughs> David Weiss discussion, you know, but whichever way you, you talk, you know, or, or see the world, it's all affected, you know, in a microcosm, macrocosm way. So by just observing these heavenly bodies or, you know, lunar body, or if it's a hologram or, you know, it doesn't <laughs> matter if it's made out of cheese or whatever, yeah. it has a place in the rhythm of our environment. And I think getting back into tune with that is the goal of understanding the 13 moon cycle. Now, you know, whether you choose to go and name, you know, the months differently, you know, that's something that he advocates for and really create like a personal connection with your perspective of time because if you're calling everything by october or january or whatever it is you know that's going to take you out of this birthright that we all have which is participating in the natural rhythm mm, beautifully said man yeah it's as always like i like to say on on the podcast it's the mimicry laid out upon what's natural and true and transformative and helpful to us there's always that mimicry that's laid out and this seems to be in the form of messing with our dates and i actually heard from uh, a guest uh, you know ari said told me that there's parts of the world that still operate under those 13 moon cycles you know and they're not talked to you know parts of the middle east and iran um, still operate under that. And of course that's suppressed. And, you know, we're talking about one of the most suppressed areas of the world right there, somewhere where we would never take seriously, even if we may be found out on a mass scale that, Oh, they're following this cycle. Then we'd probably just dismiss it on a, on a mass general scale, but right. maybe that's changing for the better over time. Now the, this recognition of the ancient ways, I mean, that's kind of what I've seen over shit, like a decade now, you know, it seems like from Graham Hancock to Randall Carlson, all over the board, we have these, you know, the shit's getting older. Everything keeps getting older and older and older. And uh, it's all going back to these natural traditions and, and more, you know, following nature and almost copying nature and honoring it in that way. Um, do you think that Tartaria kind of throws a wrench in all the progress we've kind of seen from that very ancient world, or do you think it can coexist kind of well together? I wanted your perspective on that. Cause I know you've kind of dabbled in the same areas, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's certainly fascinating at first. The first time I ever heard anything about Tartaria, it was Max Egan on the mm. higher side chats and, I think even uh, he mentioned something about it when he was on Tinfoil, but they focused more on like the fact that he was in Australia. And I wasn't working for Sam at this point in time. I was just delivering bread and delivering packages and doing my thing mm. at the farmer's market. And a friend of mine who I, you know, was training to take over for some of the, the days of the bakery route, He's like, yeah, you know, what do you do while you're, you know, driving? Because it's like four in the morning. I'm training him how to do this job. So I'm like, dude, I just listen to podcasts while I'm working. So, you know, I don't know if you're interested in this, but honestly, like, this is how I get through my day. So, you know, and he's like, oh, actually, I love podcasts. I'm like, really? Oh, OK, cool. This is what I listen to. And he's like, I'm like, you know, telling him about Tinfoil Hat. And he's like, well, have you ever heard of Tartaria? And I'm like yeah, actually, I just heard about it like two weeks ago, you know, and he starts getting in on Tartaria and telling me all this stuff about Tartaria and, and we become friends and hung out several times since. And now he lives pretty far away, so we don't hang out much anymore. But it was a sort of synchronistic moment. And he actually is like an artist and makes murals that look like uh, Tartarian buildings. Mm. And he happened to be a guest on 
my show that I did with Andreas, you know, so all this information is really new to me. And the reason I go about and say that is because Jose Arguelles in his book, Time in the Technosphere, talks about how synchronicity and the art of time or the law of art in time is this sort of idea that these patterns that are emerging are never random. There's nothing random. And we're living in a time right now where consciousness is accelerated. And I think people are like, what do you mean accelerated? Well, your ability to engage with your surroundings is all dependent on vibration, right? You have your five senses that tap into a certain vibration, but you have higher senses than those five senses that can tap into even higher vibrations. And after that 9-11 event, and maybe even the 2012 event, which was supposedly the end of the world, right? But really that word apocalypse that they use just means great change or mm. revelation, revelation, something to that degree. And it's like, yeah, pretty obvious to me that there's a synchronization going on. And if that means taking a different look at history, it would make a lot of sense because the people who write the history books are the victors and the victors are in control of this top-down pyramid scheme, right? So what do they rely on? They rely on guns, oil, drugs, sex, right? Controlling the sexes, controlling the family, manipulating that square one, boom, drugs, putting drugs right in your veins as soon as you're born, you know, recommending all these shots and then putting, you know, aspirin and all these other benign drugs in your body. And, and then even in the ingredients with food and everything, right. Drugs, right. Oil. I mean, pretty obvious where that, what that affects your home, your car. Yeah. Everything in between that needs to run uh, a motor and then guns. I mean, second amendment of this country, but also the reason why we're in every other country is with a gun in our hand. So it's very clear that that is the the second tier of control. To me, I would say that top tier is this knowledgeable elite and oil energy, right? It has to be monopolized. That's the only way that they can exist. So, of course, they don't want us to understand how Tesla built what he built. They don't want us to understand that Tesla came from a civilization of people that were way more informed than just him and the creations that they were able to put together combined with many different brilliant people like Tesla, you know, is massive and impossible to completely erase from history. So they've had to do a lot like World War Two, you know, the Soviet Union, all of these the Chinese Communist Republic. I mean, the word Manchurian, you know, has a curious history. So, oh, yeah. you know, people need to understand that the nations that we see today are not like the United States where it's like, oh, yeah, born in 1776 and this is it. And this is the amount of presidents we've had. And, mm-hmm. the, you know, there's a lot shadier and murkier things going on. The more countries you add to the picture and how countries change. I mean, just look at Africa and what they did to the countries that were already there. They had kingdoms of people. They had sovereign people. They had people in democracies. They had people, you know, governing themselves. And then they come and they enslave them. They kill them and they rename plots of their land, you know, Chad and Rhodesia, (laughs) you know, like all of these like European names for African places, the the history books show the same plays over and over and over. And to me, I don't know really any conclusions when it comes to Tartaria, but I like the fact that there's so many open-ended questions going on right now and people looking at buildings with a new set of lenses and saying oh okay well maybe this building was dug out because there is a mud flood you know Mm -hmm. whether there's geological evidence for that 
I don't know, a guy like Randall Carlson would probably have more information on that than anyone else, but there's probably other guys out there who are inspired and they're going to come up and, and bring some new evidence to the surface. But we can see that evidence isn't going to come from a place like the Smithsonian Institute, which by the way, sponsors the history channel, which plays ancient aliens over and over and over again. And they want you to, to, to believe in aliens, that aliens built the pyramids and aliens built all these structures. Why, why do they want us to, go with that narrative why is that narrative all over the television not because aliens exist or not that's not the point i'm making but the point is the same thing that the flat earthers always say is like oh they want us to think that we're a meaningless in this meaningless universe on a meaningless ball it's like okay well we can still have a meaningful existence but that doesn't mean the earth is flat you know we kind of started this conversation talking about that because I just got off of a conversation with David, but still, either way, no, yeah. you know, nothing against him. I, I actually really enjoyed talking to him or listening to him rather. Uh, but back to my point, it's like we're living in a perspective based world that is constantly faced with interference. And, Absolutely. you know, when you can, drop that history that you were given in school and really look at something for what it is and say, okay, well, if this stone is this big, you know, how did they, how did they build it? You know, well, David Weiss, he was just telling me that according to, you know, him, this is an electric universe. And if that's the case, if you can give something a positive charge, it will supposedly weigh less. Right. Mm. So there is science in that realm. And if we're living in this Tartarian universe where certain structures have the ability to channel electricity from the atmosphere and use that to power buildings. I mean, now we're talking a whole new paradigm where humans could have built the pyramids. Humans could have used a whole set of skills and technology based on a, a basis of knowledge that is lost today, because right now it's pretty much, you know, believe us or you're screwed, you know, right. believe us or face the gallows, believe us or get burned at the stake, believe us or be shunned, believe us or have a bad social credit score. And the scientists are the ones saying, believe all science. I mean, that's yeah. on people's lawn signs in some, you know, counties yeah anti-science yeah and i think the most scientific signs are in the conservative areas where it's saying unmask our kids because all the science shows that wearing a mask on your face is incredibly unhealthy it raises the temperature of your mouth which causes the bacteria that are supposed to be there to die you know making your immune system weaker because the microbiome in your body has less tools to use to fight off negative bacteria that might make its way in there in this natural give and take and ebb and flow as everything else is in life. You know, you look around you at nature and things are constantly fighting and eating each other, but that doesn't mean that like fighting and killing is the way it is either. You know, it's just a part of life. It's just one dimension of life. And so is sickness, but that, you know, doesn't mean just because lions kill zebra that, you're going to walk in the woods and see a lion. Same thing goes with this whole COVID thing. It's like we need our immune systems stronger and stronger, you know, and part of that strength comes from having mental fortitude. And that's exactly what they're trying to take from us by constantly pushing this fear, you know, fear on us and fear is powerful. I mean, yesterday I was walking in a state park in Connecticut and, you know, sometimes I think I'm not afraid of snakes, but I'm also like worried that that I might step on one, you know, just because it might make sense. You know, if you're going off trail, chances are you might step on a snake potentially. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Right. So that's my thought. And it might be silly because my girlfriend, she's like, you know, got short shorts on, like bare legs, you know, frolicking through the woods. And I got long pants (laughs) on. So I was probably even more protected than her. 
but I'm, I'm worried she's using about that. Uh, she's using that law of assumptions. I'm not going to get bit. I'm yeah. one with these, these creatures. I'm good. Well, but I'll tell you what, <laughs> I was using that same thing as we yeah. all are. And <laughs> less than five minutes into like going off the trail and just kind of following whatever path we followed, we come onto another trail and sitting right on the trail is a massive water moccasin like full too like he had just eaten like a rat and a frog and like whatever else so he was just chilling you know didn't seem like he was in the mood to mess with us but we were we had to walk by him like within a foot of him just across the trail so it was a moment that we shared that was a little exciting (laughs) and and uh definitely you know one of those like (laughs) animal omens that you can actually manifest but i think i manifested it just through worrying and maybe that was a lesson for me in that moment is you know worry less because look at the snake he's full he's happy he's now a threat to you but Mm. you did manifest it (laughs) yeah yeah it's almost like you know if you're if you're nice to the universe even when you do worry and you let those invading thoughts kind of get you you can manifest stuff, but it's almost like the universe being like, hey, listen, we're buddies. All right. I'm not going to not going to attack you, but I'm here. So watch those thoughts. All right. <laughs> you know, because it really does happen that way. I mean, my wife and I kind of point that out to each other quite often, too. Like, hey, weren't you thinking about that all day yesterday? And look at what just happened. You know, mm. it always yeah, and that's like the point. I And I'm sure you notice it with your wife is like when you do have, you know, Uh, the opportunity to share this with a partner, you know, it makes it all that much better because you compound, not only do you compound like the mental energy, the spiritual energy, but you have a witness, you know, someone who understands and can be like, wow, okay, I see the meaning there too. And that's what this is all about. You know, we talked about the, I mentioned the scene, the synchromystic exploration of the ever expanding now, but that all came from Tara and I, going on a journey up the Connecticut river and listening to Michael Sandler talk. And he mentioned signs, symbols, and synchronicities. And then he said something about story and how we're all living the story of our life. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's like the three little S's and the big, the larger S, you know, like signs, symbols, and synchronicities are the little S's that make up our story. But then you know, our stories make up this larger S that is the collective story. And I think what's so cool about knowing guys like yourself and Ron from New England and Michael Wan is like we're all taking these different angles and looking into these things from different angles. And we all come from different walks of life and we can all unfold this map and put together this puzzle together from those different corners instead of one person just trying to you know it's like unfolding a huge huge tent but you only have one person like you have to go to each corner and pull it out you know it's a lot easier when you have four people on each side to just kind of pull it out so that's what i see happening here is the more people that listen to shows like this the more eyes we have on this mystery and the more uh manifestations or omens can come to the surface the more synchronicities can come to the surface and we'll start to find things yeah you know i was thinking the other day about how i wonder if a podcast itself not even necessarily a logo but the idea of like everyone should have a podcast that's being pushed everywhere like everybody get on this everybody just share your thoughts get it out there i wonder if these podcasts are in a way a kind of intention like a sigil of some kind in their own right you know what i mean i mean i I put this up here intentionally you know i wanted this there this logo right here i you know because i i i don't necessarily dabble with a lot of that stuff but i'm fascinated by it you know i've been fascinated by it ever since i learned about grant morrison and the invisibles and you know that's basically the comic series the graphic novel series that inspired the matrix you know and so it's cool to have like this idea that we are co-writing this collective story i mean the whole time you were giving that description i was like seeing sacred geometry symbols like in my head like and like fractal almost you know because that's kind of what you're talking about we have our own little world our own little universes it's as above so below 
And are you into like the idea of like holographic universe as well by any any chance? Like David Talbot's work? Because yeah. I'm thinking like it all kind of fits together, it seems. I feel like there's multiple new approaches to like physics or the universe, like electric universe theory and the holographic theory. They they work well together, you know, they don't necessarily contradict one another. So it seems like we are kind of getting closer and closer to getting that tent set up. You know what I mean? The tent is almost there. Then we got to set up the air mattress. And then there's just all other, there's so many layers to this, you know? And as you said, unfolding, right? It's, it's like that Eastern idea of the Lotus flower. Let me ask you if you feel this way. As I research all these different lines of thinking, it never seems to end there's always another corner to turn. You know what I mean? There's never necessarily, we never get the thing, you know, we're always chasing it around the next corner, it seems. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm too new into this or middle of the way to, to notice that yet, <laughs> but <laughs> I, think, I think it's important to define your goals, you know, and whether True. that, means you know knowing as much as you can about alchemy or metaphysics or the occult and i think when it comes to the occult type stuff you know you find that a lot of this information comes from people like crowley who were just experimenting with this stuff themselves you know they'd find an old book they find these old practices you know in these uh clubs where this information is circulated you know <laughs> secret societies and whatnot and it was all a matter of experimentation and i think that's where we are right now like you mentioned everybody's gonna have a podcast but it is intention setting you know especially yeah. when you consider that if you speak about something and it goes out to as many people as it does for some podcasts that's your intention multiplied by however many people listen to it with a positive attitude or mindset at the very least yeah somebody who listens with a negative mindset i don't know i mean maybe but i haven't done like a double blind study <laughs> but i think there is like with what lynn mctaggart talked about when she was on the higher side chats and the power of eight you know you have this oh, yeah, threshold right. yeah where people are able to combine their mental energies or spiritual energies mm. towards one intention so that's why, like, on my show, I've been telling people a little bit about where my girlfriend are at right now with this bus. Because I'm like, you know, people at least will hear that we're looking for a bus and put some intention into that positive intention uh, and maybe even be so kind to throw us some money because that's not cheap. But we did find a bus um, after talking about it. I don't know nice. if it's the right one yet. I still haven't test drove it yet, but yeah, the, the goal is to hit the road and be mobile in a conversion camper van and uh, a bus might be better because I'm tall. So I need the headroom, <laughs> but yeah, we'll see. But that's the thing, man. It's like once, once you get out on the road, there's so much randomness that occurs that I think you really start to accelerate your capacity for synchronicity. It's like that, journey i went on that i was beginning to tell you about we were on our way to the porcupine festival in lancaster new hampshire and you know we're like an hour away or so and we just set the intention to see an animal omen and less than 10 minutes later we see something crossing the road maybe like five you know 100 feet away not too far away we're getting closer and closer and it's a porcupine making its way across the road. And we're like, what the hell? We manifested a porcupine on our way to Porcupine Fest. And then naturally, you know, when you're up in those parts, you see these signs on the side of the road warning you about moose. Because even though it's not common to see these moose, when you do, you got to be careful because they'll be in the road and they sometimes get stubborn and could cause your car some problems. So. We see all these signs for moose and we're like, all right, let's manifest a moose. Not only did we see one moose, 
we saw two moose standing on the side of the road waiting to cross. And that was within 10 minutes of the porcupine. Now, this was at sunset, which is the most active time for animals. You know, if we had done these manifestations in the high noon, it might not have been as easy. But we didn't think about that like three days before. We just spur the moment. We're like, hey, let's set an intention here. And, you know, rightfully so is that that perfect time of the day when you can see some animals that otherwise are not really active. We're in a place where there was less conscious energy in the air. You know, I think when you're in a city, you're competing with all these other energy centers, you know, and, and it's almost why you feel so much more exhausted taking a 20 you know, minute walk through a city than you would taking a 20 minute walk through forest, you know, obviously the oxygen quality <laughs> has something to do with that. And maybe the hard cement <laughs> <Yeah>. as well. <laughs> but, uh, but either way, you get my point, there's almost like a zapping effect. And some people tune into that some people love the energy of a city. Personally, I love the energy of like a mountain river forests or anything in between. I'm right there with you, brother. I'm taking a trip to the mountains tomorrow night, actually. I'm actually thinking about doing like a little live thing from the summit if I can, if yeah. I have service. But, you know, that's kind of one of the great points about going to the places like that is most of the time, even if you have the desire, the phone's almost useless up in those areas. So it kind of yeah. helps you like, no, 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 no. Put it down. It's OK. Just yeah. take it all well, in even and like. You know what? I, I, I'll, I agree with you a hundred percent. I just had Tony Merkel from mm -hmm. the confessionals podcast on my show. And he mentioned how he was going out and he was looking to record this. <clears throat> I think it was like a haunted world war two prisoner of war site. And he hears a Bigfoot scream for the first time ever. Like he, you know, loves the subject, obviously huge paranormal podcast, but I think this is one of the few encounters or weird experiences he's ever had. Maybe we didn't get into all of them, but, or maybe I just don't remember people can go listen to that show, but either way, he mentioned hearing the Sasquatch scream. And when he went to look at his equipment, he noticed that his microphone cord had broke. And my theory that I posited during the conversation in the moment was like, well, do you think that possibly the fact that your microphone equipment broke that gave way on an energetic level for that experience to happen? Cause you hear that often with these cases where people like have something happen and they find out there's an equipment malfunction. Mm -hmm. We were just talking with David Weiss about how we're living this electric world. Everything's electricity. You and I just talked about that with Tartaria. I firmly believe that. I mean, this lamp me makes me shocked me the other day. <laughs> I felt the electricity, you know, <laughs> I, it didn't feel good, but that's like, you know, proper current, proper voltage and all that. I'm not the right, you know, capacitor for that amount of voltage. So it hurt, but either way, that's like what, we're living in and i think sasquatch is tuned into that even more and when you have that equipment on you or a phone it almost gives them the signal that you are not someone to be interacted with yeah. you know because their whole motive is to be you know stealth or unseen you know they're not particularly happy with with human beings i had a, a guy named seb who was just on my show mm -hmm. again also unreleased episode but it might be out by the time this is out and um and seb said he had an astral connection with the bigfoot the bigfoot said you know we're not happy with humanity you know and take that for what it is and, and folks can listen to his story for what it is but that hmm. makes a lot of sense to me you know that these beings are living in a sort of higher vibrational state than what we normally typically interact with on a day-to-day -day basis. But when we go out into these wild spaces, the energy kind of pulls us in because things are vibrating higher up there. When we tune into that, maybe those electronic devices, they get, you know, affected in a bad way by this high energy. Or, you know, when they're around, it just kind of drags your energy down too. I mean, yeah. 
they do say it's like dirty electricity that we're dealing with here. Can't be great for our auras. That's true. I mean, and if they are on a higher dimension, you know, they're probably very aware of all, you know, they're probably using their own frequencies to operate by and coming into close quarters with those probably maybe not harmful, but disruptive and foreign frequencies from our technology. Yeah, I could see that definitely being something that they would push against and stay away from as much as possible. You know, yeah. it's interesting. We've been we've been going every which way in this conversation. And that's awesome. Like we haven't really covered anything like I specifically set out to cover and you know, low key, that's always what my goal is <laughs> to just randomly let this fall out because I think it's good to have us just flow like this, you know, but I, I kind of want And I noticed it when we talked on the phone, I will say, you know, it's like you, you asked about Alt Media United, the whole mm -hmm. thing that's really started since I got into Alt Media United. At first, I was like, all right, I want to have people in the cooperative. So I got people that were kind of more established and didn't need my help for much, you know, right. Uh, but they appreciated, yeah, and they appreciated the, you know, another spot where their website, you know, another website that had their podcast on it, you know, at the very yeah, so supportive, you know, and, and yeah, there's a lot of cool people that joined in at the early stages. But then as time goes on, I start meeting guys that are just getting off the ground, like myself, you know, and yeah. I mean, some conversations are very businessy. Some conversations are more like ours, where we just kind of talk back and forth. And maybe that's the New England thing, though, bro. I mean, come on now. You're a New Hampshire guy. I'm a Connecticut guy. I'm a We're Massachusetts both on the dude. I'm a Massachusetts guy. I'm a little even closer to you. Okay. Yeah, I'm right in the middle. So, but I am hoping to maybe become a New Hampshire guy. You know, uh, having having Etienne. Ron, Ron confused Ron. me. Oh, yeah. He well. He, I've been telling him the same thing. I'm like, Ron, tell me about this area of New Hampshire. Tell me about this area. Cause my wife and I are trying to maybe get out of this area. You know, we're very close to suburban trafficy, loud, everything. You know so, what I mean? But from Massachusetts, I mean, I don't know how close you are to Boston or Braintree and not that 40 whole, minutes. So that, so you're familiar enough with that whole center of like intelligentsia type energy and like oh yeah here walking in, here through boston i feel so out of place man even though it's been my home city my mm. whole life you know i'm like yeah. you i prefer a mountain you know mm. yeah and here in connecticut i mean we have hartford and new haven both interesting places mm -hmm. new haven obviously yale university hartford has some interesting schools as well but yeah. there's you know a lot of energy that's really been coming up more and more with this whole COVID thing, the medical nonsense, which we don't need to get into all that because I'm definitely not an expert, but I'll, I'll reserve to, you know, what the, what the women say, my body, my choice, you know, that's, Damn right. that's at the end of the day, that's what I go with for that one. But I've, yeah. I've been kind of like making the establishment on my podcast that like, I'll only talk about those things from a, like an objective archetypal position. I no longer want to get into the nitty gritty of all the headlines that keep coming out and the new parts of this that are getting scarier or more threatening. I can deal with that off the air because I don't want to give that out to my audience. I don't want to give that mm. out to my guest. And, you, you know, know, it's yeah, you mentioned that. And that's exactly what I just heard from someone who signed up for the Patreon today. They said, oh, awesome. I love the positive vibe of your show. And I'm like, well, you know, we don't talk about the news. We have guests on and we ask them how they got into this stuff. And then the ball rolls from there, you know, and I yeah. think that's like how that's a good format. I think there's other formats. But, yeah, that's like another thing I do with alt media night is like figure out how pod the art of podcasting and how, you know, someone starting can be successful or how someone who's already been doing it for a while can be more successful. And, you know, that connecting back to the other point that I wanted to, to make and, and maybe turn into a question for you is like, sure. You know, being in Connecticut, I've noticed like the Connecticut river obviously is a big part of the state, but there's so many things that were invented in Connecticut from the first helicopter flight to the first submarine, uh, the first newspaper, the first portable typewriter, the first cotton gin, the first, 
lollipop, you know, like just all over the map, like the hamburgers would apparently have the best pizza, you know? So like looking into your own local area, you can find a lot of these little facts that, you know, add up to something, maybe not much at first. You might be like, what is, you know, what is this? Like a, a roadside attraction type thing, you know, yeah, <laughs> like what's right. the, what's the point? Like it's nostalgic, cool, great. But what I'm starting to realize, thanks to my friend Michael Wan, is like once you learn it about the mystery that there is behind the history of the place you were born, so many things start to get pieced together. Like we were just in Old Saybrook, Connecticut yesterday, mm-hmm. and I noticed there's an old map and it said that the West Indies warehouse was in Old Saybrook now. You raise your eyebrows because you're like West Indies. That sounds mm. like Dutch East Indies. Sure does. And there was a Dutch West Indies company that was very similar to the Dutch East Indies company. And that those companies were very much involved with the founding of uh, Yale University. Skull and Bones is a part of Yale University. George W. Bush, his father were both and his grandfather were all three members of Skull and Bones. So the symbolism, the significance, it's there. Now, how that even connects, right? There's a college in old in Yale called Saybrook College. <laughs> and back in the day before Yale University was created in New Haven, it was started in Brantford, which is in between New Haven and old Saybrook. And a lot of these names of places were not the same as they were, you know, today like people don't realize that sometimes a county becomes a town or a town becomes a county or a town gets renamed or a borough becomes the whole town you know so there's all these little things that happen in history that add up to a larger story one piece of information which oh my god if a listener could help me out with this this would be amazing but i thought there was an episode of the higher side chats which i lost track of it talked about a Connecticut governor who was once an alchemist. And I'm like, wow. So there was a Connecticut governor who at some point in the 1800s was practicing alchemy or maybe even further back. But, you know, these are the little pieces of information that we can all like understand. And then that can create an experience like what happened to me yesterday. So we talked about the snake, right? Well, we saw that snake as we were adventuring around a place called Makamudis State Park. Now, mm-hmm. Makamudis State Park is historically a word, Makamudis, an Indian word, a Native American word that means place of the angry god or, or angry noise, you know, something to do mm. with loud, angry noise. There's this whole history of this place, Moodis, Connecticut, that inspired the Dunwich Horror by H.P. Lovecraft for anybody who likes that guy. I don't know much yeah. about him. Um, I but, have read that and many others by him. That, right. Yeah. So so that's, you know, one person. But then there was a guy named Dr. Steele who was allegedly called by King George to come investigate the area and figure out why these noises were happening. But even further back from that, the Indians, the Native Americans, they say that there's a man that lives under, you know, their God, this God, not their God, as in one God, but a God Mm. who lives under these rocks in a cave on a sapphire throne. And he was very unhappy that the European God arrived on his lands And that's why the noises started. Right. So ever since then, there's been earthquakes and noises in this area. And people are like, you know, must come up from underground or must be an earthquake. It's very fascinating. And after we see the snake, we're just like walking around. We're kind of going down further, looking at the different rocks and admiring the different rocks. My girlfriend, Tara, she goes, do you hear that? And I listen and all of a sudden I hear boom boom like a big like like thunder but there's no clouds in the sky no storms it's been nice weather since that tropical storm fred blew through here but yeah man we heard the moodest noises and it was just you know the right place the right time 
and knowing that history that put us in that spot and having that experience, you know, absolutely. I can't say much more than that other than it was definitely stunning in a way Mm -hmm. and, and, and worthwhile, you know, definitely like tangible enough to be like, wow. Okay. That wasn't a truck driving by. That wasn't a motorcycle. It definitely wasn't thunder because that has its own range. So clear rumbling, real rumbling, almost like rocks falling in a hollow place underneath the earth, you know? And, you know, when we get back into the hollow earth stuff, it's like, yeah, I'm sure, especially on a place like a river, that there's some hollow caves or other special areas. Someone who's really significant to my journey and, understanding all this stuff told me that in his culture the pueblo indigenous people in arizona all the way in arizona they talked about here this land being sacred being a garden of eden whoa and that's interesting you talk about like the geological perspective they say like yeah after a certain line new england is all old you know type of architecture or not architecture sorry forgive me tartarian people don't go crazy there (laughs) they talk about how the geography and the geology and the flora and the fauna are very similar to what was in north africa because this part of this land was in you know if you believe in the whole pangea thing a part of that whole connection you know where you can kind of see how south america looks like it once fit on africa well the tip of florida all the way up to where long island connecticut is would have been on that part of africa that is morocco and mauritania and all those other countries along that western coast of africa there saharan coast you know and and to me you know very interesting you know especially if we look at like the mayan and aztec connections with uh hieroglyphics in the susquehanna river valley something that michael juan and i have been talking about so you have all these really strange connections you have the land that's much older on this side of the appalachian mountains Mm -hmm. and you have you know all these people talking about tartarian research you know, I think this is just the beginning, you know, yeah. we have so much unfold and it starts with like looking in your own backyard because one person can't do it themselves. And I think, you know, where you're born is significant. So why not start with your backyard? You know, we're all, we'll all figure it out together. Yeah, I could definitely tell you a story about Massachusetts. Let's hear that it. I've definitely put intention into the past. But before I do, before I forget, let me try to share this screen yeah right here you seeing that yeah okay so these are maps of the cave systems in the united states when you said that those people out in arizona felt something connected to connecticut and this region on like a spiritual level it immediately made me think of all the cave systems that connect basically all these areas underground. And this is a total tangent, but I just thought it was interesting to bring up that these massive mammoth cave systems in the East here, they don't just stop in the East. The name stops, but these little caverns are everywhere. I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt that there's people that possibly made these great travels perhaps maybe these great pilgrimages from one side to another maybe i don't know what do you think of that that's pretty wild right yeah well they definitely talk about you know certain cultures saying that they had to go underground to escape this cataclysm yeah and it's totally yeah that's within the the same southwestern cultures that talk about you know, what I just described this sacred green space on the East Coast that they called like what, you know, Christians call the Garden of Eden is there's this big, you know, uh, confluence, this mixing of indigenous culture and Christianity, tragically so. But yeah, that's part of it. And I, dude, I mean, 
personally, it scares me the idea of traveling that many miles through a cave. So, <laughs> and I, I mean, would love life- to love that. I want to love that. Like I climb mountains. I love right. that. Why can't I do the other way? I was talking to my friends about it. All of us were like, now, no. but what if there's like, <laughs> what if there's like something down there that glows like you see in the underground parts of the, or the really deep parts of the ocean, mm-hmm. you know, or, or something like Tesla tech, you know, Tartaria tech that just lit the whole place up when things weren't in a cataclysmic or closed off state that people say we're in now i mean yeah i wouldn't be if i wouldn't want to go through there a dark cave but if it was you know somewhat like anciently uh created in a way that was you know for people to travel through that's a different story you know i definitely think well and then ari you know to bring him back up again he was showing me on uh the latest appearance on my family thinks i'm crazy uh with him the electric nature of these cat uh canyons and how it looks yeah. like lightning scars you know and it's unbelievable he was trying to like prove the rivers crossing in the wrong direction and if you mm. could do that he was that doesn't add up <laughs> right yeah it's it's definitely you know just to the eye it looks very similar to the way lightning branches but all things kind of live in this microcosmic macrocosmic pattern way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fractal kind of way, but you know, that in with that in mind, you know, maybe there was a, a cataclysm that yeah. Pushed people underground and caused them to come from where Atlantis used to be kind of over here on the East coast and move down, you know, to the coast down there near Mexico. Cause it's pretty, San Diego seems to be pretty great, according to what I hear. I don't know if it's like green or, or whatnot, but it can't mm. be like Palm Springs. You know, there's no. there's all these like uh, places in the Southwest that you can find, you know, like little oasis So I don't know. I mean, it's definitely that's part of the mystery. Just too far from me. I mean, Carlos Castaneda's books were a big inspiration for me. So yeah, I've me always too. liked the, you know imagery of the desert hence my my logo you know with the with the pyramids on the back mm-hmm. here <laughs> but um but yeah that's like yeah that's awesome it, man it's I something <laughs> something mystical when you go through and figure out the energy behind the place and like i was saying you know where you were born where you're born is so important to who you are so that's why right. not start there yeah, that's right. So I'll tell you this little little story. Um, we have a place in central Massachusetts that is pretty infamous called Spider Gates. And it's in the northern part of Worcester, but it's it's like the only solid section of Worcester that's all woods, very, very deep, deep old woods. And it leads into Leicester and all these other areas of Massachusetts. And um I believe a child or a very young teenager hanged himself back in the eighties. And so it it probably left a, you know, probably an energetic scar there, if anything, you know, but back then when I was a teenager and and spider gates was the creepy place to go, you know, uh, and the cops will get you. So, you know, we had to, you had to organize like a SWAT team. You're like, you're getting dropped off here and you're going to get picked up here. And none of us had cell phones. So, so the thing is when we went there and we would sneak in there and stuff, I only went there a couple of times as a younger person, but we literally, I mean, looking back, completely created basically a, a psychosis amongst ourselves and terrorized each other completely on accident because we just brought that energy in. The first time we went in there, it was the place that all the older kids had talked about, you know? And so we were like, oh my God, we're really doing it, man. That kind of feeling when you're younger and you're actually doing something completely crazy and you're like, wow, Mm. the adrenaline's pumping. You're an idiot. You're young. (laughs) So we just completely freaked out. We ended up running out of there after my friend 
got wind of us being terrified and he always likes to play almost like the trickster god in every situation so he ended up kind of disappearing for a few minutes and suddenly showing up next to us all hooded up and you know literally just gave us that one last jolt to send us over the edge and we all just ran screaming out of the Worcester woods and it's just funny to think back on it like that because now I understand what was happening because in the time we were all completely terrified we didn't know if we were going to run into satanists or you know the rumors were insane about that place so we just were jacked up on the the myth the you know the the mythologos whatever you want to say about the place that we were in I can see that now and it's pretty wild, but, you know, looking back at that place in general now with a more broad perspective and going back there, it's an absolutely beautiful little haven in the middle of nowhere. And the sounds of a big city that surround that area have no impact whatsoever on that thick woods. And you're looking at stones with writing on them from the 1600s from your area you know it's it was really pretty amazing to think of it that way instead after all those years you know yeah and i think that you know intention definitely plays a big part you know like we were saying before with the sasquatch kind of stuff like when you go out into these places your consciousness is the only thing there sometimes you know as far as human consciousness goes so you get I think more feedback from